0: Father God, we just thank you for Psalm 130, we thank you for your word, we thank you Lord how your word speaks into our very hearts, our very souls. And so as we watch and we hear Simon um, speaking on Psalm 130, Lord, may your message fall afresh on us and may we leave here able to, more able to, to serve you. Amen. so good morning um i start with an apology um i was hoping to be with you all this morning obviously and obviously for the service and also for the uh, church meeting afterwards the agm but unfortunately jackie my wife has uh, tested positive for covid and therefore we're all forced keeping out of people's ways for a few days so i'm sorry about that um but um with that we have a video so we're uh, going back a few uh, a year or so in this technology, so hopefully I'll manage to master it Okay, okay. So anyway, the topic for today is Psalm 130. And, and Psalm 130 is the sixth of what is tr- are traditionally known as the seven particularly penitential confessional psalms in the Psalter. Now you might know a number of others. Psalm 51 is a very uh, well-known one. Uh, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Now Psalm 130 along with the other uh, confessional Psalms uh, provide model prayers for us, for any of us, uh, in times where we find ourselves in the depths or we are struggling maybe to find the words to come to God in repentance and faith. I think confessional Psalms emphasize that what God does for people who feel helpless, who recognize their situation, and simply cry out to Him. Now, there's one thing I'd like to try and take away from this morning. I suppose it would be the, one, the, the message that's summarized in this first slide, uh, is that sense of certain assurance <laughs> that with the Lord there is a forgiveness. And I hope also, as we look at this psalm, we will see in these eight short verses, Uh, that they it does provide a wonderful summary of the gospel the christian gospel which obviously came later but um but we see the gospel i think very much in these eight verses it's quite possible that jewish pilgrims of the time used this psalm as they as it were came up towards the temple as they confessed their sins and sought god's forgiveness and blessing uh, in their journeys to jerusalem because it's a psalm that can also take us on a journey as well. It takes us on a journey from darkness to light, from despair to hope, from estrangement to reconciliation. The psalm does not only ca- highlight the problem of human sin, it also points us to the resolution and it gives us a very firm promise. A promise of God that sin and its consequences of spiritual death need not have the last word in our lives. I think Psalm 130 is very much a a good news psalm. So what I'm going to do, uh, briefly hopefully, is I'm going to just take us through the four main sections of the psalm, and it's very simple, it's eight verses in total, and we group them into verses one, two, three, four, you know, four sections. And the psalmist gives us an image in each of these four sections. So these are like signposting the journey, and I think they're quite useful. The first one that appears in the first two verses is that of a drowning person. And then in the next two verses we move to almost a courtroom setting. Then in verses 5 and 6 we end up on the walls of the city, uh, standing, as it were, alongside watchmen who wait for the dawn. And the last image is almost that of the slave market, where there's this image of being bought at a price, being redeemed. So we're going to look through these four sections uh, together. And so firstly, uh, verses one and two, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. The opening verse starts with a cry of a person who feels they're drowning as it were, that they're out of their depths, they're unable to save themselves, to swim to safety. The tense of this verse, cry, indicates that the writer of the psalm had been crying out to God in the past and continues to cry out to him as he writes this psalm because he was aware that without God's merciful intervention, he would be doomed. I think part of the beauty of this psalm is that it's not written by some impartial bystander but by someone who had personal experience of the depths, as it were, of those difficult, dark places in life. And I think it's that personal identification with that that makes this psalm still so emotionally accessible to us who live, you know, thousands of years later. In verse 2 he says, O oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. It's the cry of someone who knows They are coming to the end of their tether. Someone who knows they can no longer make save themselves is a cry for mercy made by someone who's come to realize the full extent of their own helplessness. It's from the depths that we can still reach out in faith to God, asking for his mercy, for the attentiveness, as it were, uh, in our prayers. Even when we feel completely in the dark, we can be confident in knowing that God will hear a sincere prayer of faith. An earlier psalm, Psalm 120, in verse 1, the psalmist writes, I call to the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. And I think that's an understanding picked up in many places in the Bible, and uh, we see it in the New Testament, in the Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 3:12, he says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. When we are in the depths, as it were, the first way out is our personal decision to sincerely turn back to God in repentance and faith. Like a heavy weight, sin drags its victims into the depths. But God has made us for the light and for his glory and he seeks to restore us to the light. The prophet Isaiah wrote, 40. this is the, uh, chapter 40 and verse 31, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Crying out to God for his mercy is an act of faith. And God promises throughout his word to be attentive to prayers of faith. It is the first step on any soul's journey, journeying from darkness to light. It's a simple act of trust in which we stop trying to just justify ourselves, but instead be honest with ourselves and with God about our guilt. So now the journey moves on and we move on to the image of the courtroom where the real nature of the problem is made clear. But this possibility of forgiven, forgiveness is offered verse 3 if you o lord kept a record of sins o lord who could stand but with you there is forgiveness therefore you are to be feared the psalmist moves us as it were from the depths of the ocean to a courtroom setting and here it becomes clear that the sinner cannot still stand Just as he couldn't stand in the ocean and the depth of the water swirling around him, this time he cannot stand because of his guilt. And the only way we can get rid of our record of sin is to firstly own up to it and then to come in repentance and faith to God seeking his gracious forgiveness. As Christians we understand that this free offer of forgiveness is made possible because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sakes. <coughs> In Romans 4, Paul, while making this point about the Gospel himself, uh, quotes from Psalm 32. I'm just going to read a few of these verses from another psalm. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away; though my groaning, through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my guilt. I said, "I will confess my transgressions to the Lord." and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everybody who is godly pray to you while you may be found. From a biblical point of view, sin is not just the bad things we've done in the past. Sin becomes almost a legacy, a record that is attached to our lives. We might try to justify our sins, we might try to forget our sins, but the wrong that we have done against others cannot be so lightly dismissed. God is love, but God is also just. And a just judge cannot, however lovingly, just brush sin aside. And we are certainly not in a position to forgive ourselves, to free ourselves from our sin. Jeremiah 2 and verse 22. Although you wash yourself with soda and use an abundance of soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me declares the Lord we can't stand even before God and argue our own case before him again a different prophet Ezra 9 and verse fifteen. O Lord God of Israel you are blameless you are holy here we are before you in our guilt though because of it not one of us can stand in your presence but despite these verses these prophets it remains clear in God's word, that it is God's desire to forgive sinners. For another psalm declare Psalm 86 and verse 5, You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call on you. Hear our prayers, O Lord, listen to our cry for mercy. God is always ready to forgive, but it is through our faith in Jesus as both Saviour and Lord that such forgiveness can be so graciously and freely ministered to our souls. In Jesus, in Jesus, God carries away our sin, places it, as it were, as far as the East is from the West. He casts it into the depths of the sea, in Micah, just another picture there, and holds our sins against us no more. This is the joy of the gospel message. But forgiveness is not a blessing to be ever taken lightly, for it costs God his son. If we take seriously the guilt of sin, we will always seek to take seriously the grace of forgiveness that we have been given. Remind ourselves of verse 4 of our psalm, But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are forgiven. To be feared, and now we move on from the courtroom setting, where guilt is apparent, and yet forgiveness can be offered to the setting of watchmen waiting for the dawn. Verses five and six, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I put my hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchman wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. So from the courtroom we move to the city walls, where watchmen are alert as they peer through the darkness of the night to detect any approaching dangers as they wait for the dawn. Nothing they can do can make the sun come up any sooner, but when the dawn dawns, the guards can rejoice that the city has been kept safe for another night. When the Lord forgives sinners, it can be like the dawning of a new day as they move out of the darkness into God's marvellous light. The forgiven sinner might need to wait to realise the fullness of the new day, the fullness of the forgiveness they have received. But it is not a waiting of hopeless resignation. It is one of hope-filled anticipation. Lamentations chapter three, because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion and therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait patiently for the salvation of the Lord. The night can at times seem endless, but we need to remember as followers of Jesus that the dawn is certain. And then we move to our last image and the last two verses. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. The final stop on this journey is to a slave market and the theme is that of full redemption. Full, not partial. The startling statement that God himself would set us free of our sins by paying the price that is due. Nothing can be further from the gloom and the uncertainty of the depths of the ocean in the first two verses than this conviction and confidence we see in these last two verses. The last verse makes very clear the explicit and wonderful truth that it is God himself who would redeem his people. It's a verse that was fulfilled many years later in Jesus Christ, God's Son who was born, lived and died for our sins, taking our place on that cross, setting us free from our guilt and opening up the way once more for us to approach God Almighty, our Father, without fear, but instead with holy awe and love. The psalmist saw a future redemption for God's people, as did many of the other Old Testament prophets. Now although he the Psalmist would have never met the apostle John because he lived five six hundred years before John's time, I'm sure he would have agreed with this statement of John. John wrote down in chapter eight and verse thirty six of this gospel If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So to close Psalm one hundred thirty. It's a wonderful psalm chosen for us this morning by Lynn. It's a psalm that is very concise and it speaks of a person's journey from darkness to light, from despair to hope. It is the journey of salvation. It encapsulates in those eight verses so much of the gospel that is brought to us in Christ. (coughs) It prophetically summarises is the essence of the gospel in those verses showing us what it means to approach the God of grace in simple repentance and faith it is a psalm that any one of us can take and use in our own personal prayer and petitions but might we know that same assurance that whatever we may have been guilty of if we too have turned to God in Christ in sincere repentance and faith, then we too are utterly forgiven, set free to live for his glory. To close I'm just going to read some words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, starting at verse 3 which I think again summarises the Psalm 130 for us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in love he predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has so freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption for his blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches, riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. May God bless this word to us. Amen.